Which is most important, feelings, loyalty, or truth? Next on Polygamy, what love is this? We want to discuss a book that has recently been published on this show. It's an important book to know about, especially for any who doubt or are doubting Mormonism. The name of the book is Truth Seeking and is written by Hans Matson with Christina Hank and published by Anderson and Isaacson. It tells of the experience that the author had when he began asking LDS <laughs> church leadership questions that deserved answers. Of course, many of those questions were about Joseph Smith, his polygamy, his polyandry, and his marriage to 14-year-old girls. Now, the response of the LDS church was very telling, to say the least. Matson's story is amazing and sad as he describes how his whole world began falling apart when he discovered his church not only is lying about their past, but they turn around and attack those who dare to ask for the truth. Boy, that's true. From the back cover, we learn about the author and the background to his story. So we quote. In the small but cohesive Mormon community in Sweden where he grew up, Hans Madsen was a fervent believer in Mormonism. He followed his father and grandfather into church leadership positions and eventually moved up the hierarchy to become one of Europe's most senior leaders within the Mormon church. But when church members began approaching him with credibly sourced information from the internet that contradicted the church's official history and teachings, he dismissed it as anti-Mormon lies and asked his superiors for help responding. The unwillingness of the top Mormon leaders in Salt Lake City to address the issues led Matson on his own search for truth. Okay, so that's the background of, of what this book is about. Now, everyone's journey to the truth has a beginning. It, it has some kind of an event or something right. that is said or we see or read that sends a spark of doubt into our hearts. Some people have the courage and the tenacity to pursue their doubts and others don't. Hans Matson did. He finally came to the point that he was thinking the unthinkable and forbidden of all thoughts the church is probably just not true. <laughs> it's a, mo it's a moment for many of us. <laughs> yeah. To allow a thought such as this to enter one's mind is completely revolutionary. He felt that he had crossed a threshold through the seemingly impenetrable boundary into free thought. No matter how painful it was, he had made an intellectual and emotional breakthrough the fog had lifted. So that just that one little it step is. led to great information. <laughs> so he began to study and he read thousands and thousands of pages of information and came to an obvious conclusion. He knew he just couldn't play along anymore. He had learned too much. He had questions that had to be asked and he remembered that church leaders had said that this church started because someone asked questions. Yet when he or others began asking questions, they were accused of betraying their heritage. He suddenly found his life was on an emotional roller coaster. Sadly, the LDS church used negativism as a weapon Yep. Against his questioning, his children were told that their father was the worst apostate. He was accused of, by many, of being a traitor. He felt abandoned and thought his career was over. He explains in detail the painful questions that he wanted answers to. He writes this. 
upset members had turned to him for answers. He was forced to conclude that he was ignorant on some aspects of the roots of Mormonism. A well-known saying is milk before meat regarding the path of learning, and Hans realized that he had merely swallowed the milk, and now he had to eat the meat. Because of this poor diet of information, he had been too ignorant to pose relevant questions and unable to provide satisfactory answers to others. He had a passion for the truth. There were many statements from previous leaders saying that critical questions were welcome. But he found out differently. Well, yes, he did, I'm and sure. And he experienced a deep hunger for real knowledge. He says he no longer looked for faith-building stories, which many of them do, but he wanted the stark, naked truth. First, he tackled the difficult questions about Mormon history. Then the questions of doctrines embraced by the LDS Church throughout their history. He writes about one, what he called one of the most difficult problems he had turned up, Joseph Smith's first vision. I remember this well. When Hans began to study the history of the first vision, he discovered that there were at least four different versions of that event. These came from the years 1832, 35, 38, and 1842. The first vision, written in Joseph's own hand, spoke of his need to seek forgiveness for his sins. One version talked about seeing an angel. A later version mentioned the appearance of two personages interpreted as God the Father and Jesus his son. Now, Matson logically concluded that obviously Joseph Smith's visionary experiences didn't leave a <laughs> profound or long-lasting impression on him. Yeah. Seems to me like it would. Visions like that would, but not so. with him. They were actually just a series of evolved stories that became more and more sensational over time. Well, his next problem was with the Book of Mormon, which he had been familiar with since childhood. Now he came across harsh, harsh criticisms of the Book of Mormon, its contents, theology, doctrinal messages, the translation process, and the credibility of contemporary witnesses regarding the gold plates from which it was translated. Well, he studied yeah. and studied, and he found anachronisms in the Book of Mormon. We did a show on that, what, a few months ago. He studied details of the battles in the Book of Mormon and the sheer numbers of people in the battles, and he knew that they were logically impossible, especially after comparing them with historical battles of Europe, of, of Europe in older days. Sure. He discovered differences in the original version of the Book of Mormon compared with the modern version, and that's where that you did a lot too. of yours. And, of course, some of them are only recent changes as well. One change that bothered him immensely was the introduction regarding the Lamanites. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> when Hans was growing up, the Book of Mormon was about the history of the American Indians. In fact, this was spelled out in its introduction. The Lamanites were the, quote, principal ancestors, unquote, of Native Americans. The people known in the Book of Mormon as the Lamanites were, in the changed version, among the ancestors of today's Native Americans. How perplexing this must be for all of the Native inhabitants who had been thought that their history and culture came from Jerusalem. They had been deprived of their true history. Their stories had been replaced with those from the Book of Mormon. Suddenly things had changed, and these confused people were required to find a new identity. They were no longer pure-blooded Lamanites. Now that's really something to take into consideration, isn't it? Well, I knew, remember Carl Moore had talked yes. about his thinking that all this time he was a Lamanite and had mm -hmm. to deal with that, but I really hadn't thought about that in a widespread kind of 
thinking that all these members of the church who were had Native American well, ancestry all of a were all identity. of a sudden, they're, yeah. they're not Lamanites anymore. Right, their identities <laughs> totally we? changed. Yeah. And of course, the change was because of modern DNA evidence, yeah, which has right. proven that Native Americans have Asian heritage, not Jewish. <laughs> he questioned the racism in the Book of Mormon. He questioned the gold plates and how original Mormon history claimed that Smith translated from gold plates, but instead found that a special rock was used to dictate the words. The Book of Mormon was not translated at all. This information was completely new to him and caused many more questions. <clears throat> he finally concluded that if the LDS church is not what it claims to be, then it shows that Joseph Smith to be an imposter and it can only follow that the Mormon church is a fraud. Mm. The next, um, his next research project then was polygamy. Now, polygamy was not news to him. Most people know that Mormons practiced polygamy in the early years, but to most people, it was merely a thing of the past. One reason for polygamy, he and so many others had been told, was this. There were more women than men because many of the men in the church had been killed in the hateful persecutions. Polygamy was a practical way to care for the needs of these poor widows. It allowed them to be part of an eternal family. Okay, now that's one of the myths that have been yeah. told by different people. And like most Mormons, he had accepted this explanation without giving it much further thought. Sure, most we, people, have, we, most of them do. We do. Other myths about polygamy were rattling around, including the myth that the leaders needed to father as many children as possible and faithful sisters could be sealed to righteous priesthood holders, even if they're married, and live happily ever after in the celestial kingdom. But he found that many explanations were contradictory. Either polygamy was a practical solution during a troubled time of the Mormon church, or it was an important theological doctrine regarding men's and women's respective roles. He recalled where President Gordon Hinckley condemned polygamy, claiming it was not doctrinal. He wondered how that could be when it had been doctrinal and it remains in the doctrine and covenants. He noted that many contemporary cult leaders seem to think that they were entitled to as many women as they wanted. And Matson wondered why Joseph Smith seemed to fit quite nicely in the pattern of some of those cult leaders. One example he gave was David Koresh. He accessed the church's genealogical research and found where Joseph Smith's many wives were listed. He saw where Smith took several teenagers as plural wives, and the youngest was only 14 years old, and he was shocked. We quote. Yeah, and a whole other area here. Questions multiplied when Hans discovered on these pages a phenomenon he now discovered for the first time, polyandry. He followed a couple of the wives' data and discovered that when they became Joseph's wives, they were married to other men who were still who were still living. Joseph had, in fact, claimed the right to other men's wives. Hans found this startling and hard to digest. This couldn't have been popular in a time when men outnumbered women in America's Wild West. And, you know, my question when I see things like this is, Aren't the leaders, the current leaders, or even previous leaders of the LDS Church also shocked? Don't they find that's disgusting? Hard to digest that Joseph Smith would claim other men's wives? I'm sure they wish it was just buried away, <laughs> that nobody would know. But I think they know, and I oh, think they, they would be know. shocked. Yeah, 
Yeah, they do know, but why aren't they shocked enough to be know. honest with all of this? don't have a good answer for I, that. I don't know either. Well... It's easy to ignore, I guess. I don't know. I guess it is easier to ignore. Yeah. As he continued his search, he discovered the church's false claims about the Book of Abraham. <laughs> he questioned their complete turnaround in 1978, where the racism they had previously embraced suddenly stopped. <laughs> And there really wasn't an explanation. All of a sudden, the racism became folklore. That's right. Fable. Yeah. He discovered that Brigham Young had preached Adam was God. <laughs> and the church denied that too. They also denied blood atonement, that, that it was either preached or practiced when their own history says it was. This on page 141, uh, he says, The violence within the Mormon church and its scriptures suddenly became blindingly obvious despite the fact that he had never noticed it before. And you know, that, that hit with me as I was reading this because it was the violence of the early Mormon church that got me yeah. investigating. I, really? I knew after reading that violence, I knew there's no way that Mormonism could have come from come God. God. Yeah. I knew it. Wow. And, and that was almost like giving me psychologically <laughs> permission to start studying and finding out more about what, to, was what to, had been going on. To think on your own. Huh? Yeah, because God, that violence was just overwhelmingly violent. <laughs> and, and then they would hide it. Yeah. Well, one of them, of course, that he discovered was the Mountain Meadows Massacre, where in 1857, 120 Men, women, and children were killed in cold blood by Mormons who had disguised themselves as Indians, Native Americans. So that, that is kind of a brief um, summation of what the first 10 chapters are about, is, is oh, yeah. how he came okay. to this. And then, and then we come to chapter 11, and that is what recounts what is now called or referred to as the Swedish Rescue. Oh, right. And, and the chapters after chapter 11 explains what went on with that Swedish rescue. And we want to end our review of this book discussing this particular event and its after effects. And it took place in the fall of 2010 in Sweden where Hans Matson lived and where he served the LDS church. We quote. Through his contacts in Salt Lake City, the brethren began focusing their attention on Hans. A personal friend was sent out from Salt Lake City. This man had continued to advance hierarchy and was now the president of the seven presidents of the 70. They discussed various concerns and the search for truth. This approximately three-hour conversation centered mostly on early church history. Hans concluded the discussion with these questions in summary. Why has the church hidden these things? Why have I and so many others who have asked, asked these questions been told by the church leaders that the things we have read are false, that this is anti-Mormon propaganda? Why have we been told that this is our own fault due to our lack of spirituality and faith? And that's what they're telling people today. Oh, absolutely. Is that it's their fault they don't know these things. Yeah. Uh, and that's one reason, of course, for the essays. But that's another story. Anyway, his friend had no convincing answers to the questions. And so he reverted to the typical tactic of heaping guilt on the person who dares to question. I love And these. this is some of the examples. I love this. Try to remember the good feelings that you had when you believed in the church. Think about your parents and so many others and what they have done for the sake of the church. Believe and endure to the end. Do not reject that which your ancestors and you yourself have sacrificed so much for. And have you heard that since oh, you gosh. left? <laughs> yeah. 
over and over again. Remember the good feelings. Remember the good feelings. And feelings do not, do not uh, tell us what truth is. Right. Well, of course, all of this did not satisfy Matson. And about the middle of November of that year, the head of the church's history department, Marlon Jensen, and Richard Turley, an assistant church historian, came to Sweden to answer the questions of the skeptical members. Those who attended the meeting would be by invitation only, and I didn't know this before, and it was to be kept secret from other members of the oh, LDS church. I, Why the secrecy? I figured it was an open that's invitation. What, yeah, that's what he wrote in the book, that it was by that. invitation only and no one else was to know about it. Of course, wow. they knew about it after the fact. Yeah. Now, Matson had previously been a leading uh, authority, but now they saw him as a troublemaker and a covenant breaker. He realized how quickly the tables could turn just because he was asking hard questions. Marlon Jensen spoke first. It went like this. Quote, the church has been called into question in many countries, he informed them. He said that he had been sent to Sweden because it seemed that, th that here... The doubters had organized themselves. Damage control, thought Hans. Is, is, is this just damage control? And that's probably all it was, but they caused uh. more damage than the, the <laughs> trying to control damage. And then, evidently, he began to preach. And his principal message was clear that there are only two options for <laughs> these people who are questioning and doubting. Choose the LDS church or be aligned with the devil. We continue with the quote. Elder Jensen continued preaching about the spirit of the devil and supported his words with the Book of Mormon. Hans reflected about the many times that he and others in this room had been accused of having a bad spirit in recent years. The members were growing impatient with the offensive tone of Jensen's words. The invitation was to come together to ask questions and receive some answers, not to be called followers of Satan. Well, Jensen paused to take a breath as he was preaching, and Matson used that uh, to ask if it was okay for them to start asking their questions now. So the question and answer session began, and it started with the topic of the Book of Mormon. How was the translation done? Why haven't geographic, geographic locations been found? Why do modern DNA methods provide evidence against the Book of Mormon's people originating in Jerusalem? Now the Mormon Church stands or falls on the book of truth of the Book of Mormon. What they say they affirm that Joseph used a seer stone and a hat to dictate the text, and that the golden plates were often not even present during the process. Then came the subject of polygamy. He writes that the questions about polygamy pelted down like hailstones. I can imagine <laughs> they went like this. How many wives did Joseph actually have? Why did he lie and deceive his own wife, Emma? How could he coerce several teenage girls to go along with his polygamous behavior? Why is the revelation about polygamy still in the church's scriptures today? And why was Joseph Smith married to at least 11 women who were already married and had living husbands? And finally, in polygamy, a teaching is polygamy a teaching in the church? Is it a doctrine? No, oh, that's the question, huh? Yeah. Well, the answer came, we don't allow polygamy today, he said. If anyone lives in a polygamous relationship, they are excommunicated. He replied, of course we do. I know several men who are sealed in the temple to a second wife after the first wife had died. They are married, they think, at least they think they're married to them, yeah. both of them in the eternities. 
Marlon Jensen repeated, we don't allow polygamy today. Again, questions and answers flew back and forth with the same response. We do not allow polygamy. Another quote. After a few rounds of this, the leaders from Salt Lake City gave up. Okay, it's a doctrine. <laughs> really, then what about polyandry? Is that a doctrine? Elders Jensen and Turley eyed each other. They weren't smiling anymore, any longer. We don't know the answer came after an uncertain pause. Hans noted that there was no attempt at equivocation or denial of the facts. Now that's kind of scary. They don't know if polyandry is a doctrine or not. Boy, what could they do in the future with that kind of a thinking? Most huh? Mormons don't even know the word polyandry. They, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure of it. Or that Joseph Smith even had anything to do with something like that. Yeah. Well, someone else asked the question, is lying to protect the church justified? The woman who asked that question had been taught on her mission that it was permissible to lie in order to protect the church. Yeah. That's what we got all the time growing up. <laughs> At that point, Matson came to some troubling conclusion, as did others who were there. One of them is that you simply cannot trust the leadership of the LDS Church. Wow. And that goes for polygamy groups, too, by the way. The question was asked, why is there so much deception everywhere? Turley merely answered that every new generation shaped the stories. Oh, boy. Really? <laughs> It's up for grabs? Is that it? I guess. Then someone said, but this is supposed to be the true church. Then Matson asked a question that had nodded him for 40 years. Why do I have such mixed emotions with respect to the temple? If these rites are true and required of God, why can't I get a confirmation from the Holy Ghost? Why does it just feel so wrong? Oh, he writes in the book, he says, you could have heard a pin drop. People just don't talk about the temple no. or the experiences certainly there. Certainly not negatively. Yeah. Well, when they ended the meeting, it was again with their warning about having the spirit of the devil. Well, a few days later, his stake president asked if he chose to stay and remain loyal or not. And he said he wasn't ready to make that decision. And then shortly after that, he was called to another meeting with more people. One counselor shamed him like this. Just love this. You, Hans Matson, are completely devoid of the spirit. It's in your countenance. You're darkened, led astray by the devil. I know your type. Oh, isn't that awful? <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> oh, yeah, that breaks my heart that they would do that. And I'm sure it breaks the heart of the people they say that to. Yeah. Well, we'll let you read the book. <laughs> And, and get the rest of the story. But we'd like to finish our review with a quote from the last page. And this is so honest. There's no bitterness hidden within me. I have never had the intention to harm the church, as some believed. My only motive was to find truth. I have often pictured the image of leaving the boat. Stay in the boat was the counsel often given from church leaders. Leave the boat was the invitation from Jesus to the fearful disciple Peter. I feel that Jesus is there to accept me along with the doubts that had threatened to drown me. I have an uncomplicated relationship with God these days. My life is built on a personal relationship of grace and not on an organization. It's based on what Jesus has already accomplished and not what I must, what I should or must do. Isn't that lovely? I love that. Yeah, yeah I do. And, very and, and when leaving, 
um, a polygamy group or the Mormon church or any other religion that has so many burdens thrown, cast upon yeah. us, and finding grace uh, the, the, that he just says there, a personal relationship of grace and not an organization. Exactly. It doesn't take an organization no. um, to, to lead us to God or to lead us to Jesus. We don't need an organization. All we need is Jesus Christ. And so his final uh, story here is, uh, the final of his story is that he has found the truth in Christ and that is very exciting to know about. It's an excellent book for anybody who is questioning Mormonism. Um, and, and Earl, I kind of want to just take a minute and talk about your own experience coming out. Is There's a lot of it's parallel to this. Very much parallel. It was kind of, now he was in a leadership position and was being asked questions that he couldn't answer. Mm -hmm. And I would have been in that same situation. I would not have known polyandry. I would. I didn't know about the seer stone and the head and the hat and all that stuff. So I would have either asked those questions or started doing some research, research and found out. Um, but I can parallel this very much in my own mind and the, mm -hmm. and the thinking and that one little section that we read about him having that moment of clarity or yeah, all allowing of a himself permission to think, mm -hmm. to say, could there be something here that I've missed? Yeah. And that, that's a big moment. And it's a, it's a monumental moment. And it is, it goes against everything we hear and learn in, in con general conference right. or anything right. that we've ever read in, right. the, in any other magazines or that what the church has always taught us. And we just don't want to take that big step. It, and it's frightful, you know, it, yeah. it's frightful. Like he said, all of a sudden I'm thinking the unthinkable. Yeah. And, and and it reminded me as I was reading through some of these, um, where I think it was Gordon Hinckley who said, be careful what you read because many people are reading themselves right out of the church, <laughs> studying themselves right out of the church. Well, that's what he did. That's, yeah. <laughs> and that's so, and, and the glory of God is intelligence, the church teaches oh. and, uh, you know, to uh, to, to have knowledge and to study how, how st not stupid, but how, well, it is, but to, to even make that comment that you study yourself out of the church. Right, that's right. That's that, ridiculous. That should be impossible. That's ridiculous. Whatever it the is. truth is, you should. The truth it is embrace be it. the truth. Embrace it, yeah. So we, we say to our viewers, if you're doubting or want to doubt and you don't even dare doubt, <laughs> read the book. It's a true story. And, of course, we want everyone to know that questioning and investigating our doubts is precisely what God wants us to do. He's told us to yeah. test everything. Yeah. And to hold on to the good. So we, you can get the book at Amazon.com. That's where I got That's it. It's really good. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank good you, job. Earl. Appreciate. Well, you do such a good job, Doris. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you. <laughs> sir. Thank you. We've got good material to work from. You know, the LDS leaders at the Swedish Rescue insisted the only choice was the LDS church or the devil. As if no one can find God outside of Mormonism? That's ridiculous. God promises if anyone looks for him with all his heart, God will be found by him. He says nothing about finding him only in Mormonism. Jesus said God accepts those who worship in spirit and in truth. But truth is not the focus in Mormonism. It is not true that polygamy was included in God's plan for salvation. It is not true that only polygamists are exalted. It is not true that we need any prophet, any priest, except Jesus Christ. We urge any who doubt their Mormon faith to enter into the same questioning mode as the author did and be honest enough with yourself 
to ask God to show you the truth and then be willing to accept it when He does, because He will, and it will always be in agreement with the Bible. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.